0: Welcome to The Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about The Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Father, we thank you for bringing us in this place. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus. And let everything that we do lift up your name for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Thank you, Sean. As Sean read, we'll be in Acts chapter 1, so you can start making your way there if you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 1 starting in verse 1, and we're starting a new series called Moment to Movement. And so we just finished our Summer in the Psalm series, and so we're gonna start this series as we go through the book of Acts for about nine weeks. We're gonna do a quick high overview. We're gonna look at this moment that led to this movement that we're gonna talk about this morning. so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon Kingdom Citizens. Kingdom Citizens. And so if you think about your life, there's a been a lot of moments that led to some sort of movement. It could be good, or maybe not so much, right? I think about there was a time in my life, and as many of you know, I won't share my entire testimony, how I came to the Lord, but I didn't come to faith in Jesus until I was an adult. Prior to those years, I wanted to do kind of what I wanted to do, and I was shaped very much by various moments of my life negatively, and so those impacted how I viewed my life going forward. And so something I did not want to be a part of my life was marriage or kids. Which, if you know my family, that's pretty funny now, isn't it? But what happened? There was a moment that led to this Weatherspoon movement. We got married, and now we have seven kids later, right? And so as you think through moments that create movements in our lives, these moments matter. But there was one moment that we're going to look at this morning that unleashed this gospel movement that we know as the church. And so let's look at verse 1 and 2 again real quick together, as Sean just read. So he says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So, So quick context, because context matters when you read God's word is that the author of Acts is Luke, who is a doctor, who's a devoted father of Jesus, and a missionary alongside the Apostle Paul. And so he writes this letter to this guy named Theophilus, who we don't know much about. But what we see here is Acts is a continuation of Luke's first letter. What might that letter be? The Gospel of Luke. You got it, you guys are on it. The Gospel of Luke. So what we see here is this continuation regarding the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus following the gospel of Luke. As we see in Luke chapter 1, as he writes, the reason for Luke and Acts in Luke 1, 3, and 4 simply says, To write to you an orderly, sequenced, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things of which you have been instructed with certainty, all the things regarding Jesus. And so Acts shows us the beginning of how the gospel moved from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Acts shows us how Jesus would one day accomplish his plan A for reaching the world for his glory, called the church. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower or overcome it. So we're going to see today there was a moment that ignited this gospel, unstoppable church movement. And so we have to start off with, what was that moment? Was it the moment that Jesus was born? Was that the moment? I mean, it was an amazing moment. I mean, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh, meaning God stepped into humanity. God made visible in Jesus. That's an amazing moment, but I'd argue that that moment, Jesus' birth, was not the moment that created this movement. As amazing as the moment was, it lacked the power behind the purpose. If no one knew about it, so if it wasn't the moment of Jesus' birth, which I would say it's not, what was the moment that created this movement? Was it the moment of Jesus' death? I mean, what, what Jesus points to in John 3 is he's talking to this Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he's talking about the death that he would offer up, that he would be lifted up. But I argue that not even Jesus' death was the moment that led to this movement. As amazing as this moment was, it lacked the power behind the purpose if no one believed. I'm convinced that the disciples, like us, had a belief problem. See, the disciples knew what they believed, but did they believe what they knew? I think there's a belief disconnect there. I mean, the the days following Jesus' death... It says the first day of the week after Jesus had been killed and buried. In John 20, verse 19, it says the disciples gathered together behind locked doors because they feared the Jews. In Mark 16, we see that morning that Jesus was resurrected, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, experienced the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was alive and ran to the disciples and told him and his disciples, it says that they did not believe it. It's interesting. As many times as Jesus taught his disciples that he would suffer, die, but he'd be raised on the third day. They knew what they believed, but they didn't believe what they knew. That changes everything. So, if the moment that unleashed Jesus' unstoppable church movement wasn't his birth, nor his death, then what was it? Well, looking at Luke's instruction here, an introduction, his emphasis doesn't seem to be on Jesus' commands, death, or ascension, even though all were mentioned. But what does it seem to emphasize? Look at verse 3 again. It says, after he had suffered, he being Jesus, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And so don't miss this. Luke here seems to highlight two different things. One moment and one message. So what was the moment that ignited this gospel-advancing church movement? The resurrection. It was Jesus' resurrection was the moment. If the tomb is empty... And death has been conquered, then anything is possible, and there is nothing to fear. And that's what we see exactly what happened with the disciples and the followers after him, them. And take it a step further, and most critical, our faith, your faith, my faith, hangs on the resurrection. Hangs on it. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says says It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we had put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be more pitied more than anyone. But, as it is, Christ has has been raised from the dead. Our faith hangs on it and is validated by it. Christ's resurrection, Jesus, is alive. And this changes everything. And notice he says, by many convincing proofs. That's interesting. It's not just a blind faith, and this is where we go wrong sometimes. There's many proofs about Jesus' resurrection. Notice he references that Jesus wasn't just resurrected, then ascended the moment later. He walked the earth, spending time with many people for 40 days post-resurrection. Did you know that? And that's amazing if you know how letters were created and information was disseminated in the first century. If this wasn't true, this would have been squashed very quickly. But for 40 days, Jesus walked and talked and spent time with people 1 Corinthians 15 points to the fact that at one point, he stood before a group of more than 500 people at one point, post-resurrection. So it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, Paul writes, For I passed on to you as what's most important was also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And that's important that most of them are still alive because they were alive and can validate all that was being said that Jesus was alive. Billy Graham says it like this There's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Then there is that Julius Caesar ever lived, or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. He says, It's strange that historians will accept thousands of facts for which they can only produce only shreds of evidence. But in the face of overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they cast a skeptical eye and hold intellectual doubts. The trouble with these people is that they do not want to believe. The resurrection meant that Christ was undeniably God. He was what he claimed to be. Christ was deity in the flesh. Listen, there's been many world-changing moments throughout history. I think about space exploration, internet creation, donuts. Just saying. But Jesus' resurrection is and always will be the most meaningful, monumental, mammoth, massive moment of all time. It is. It's the defining moment of all history. Without the resurrection, all of Jesus' promises were untrustworthy because Jesus promised that he would raise. So that would negate everything else he ever said. Without the resurrection, disciples would still be deserting and not devoted. They would still be fearful and not faithful. Without the resurrection, the, res- the, the good news of the gospel would just be news. The good would be gone. It would be Jesus died. That's not good news. Jesus' resurrection takes the payment from sin from what has been given to what has been accepted. Jesus gave it in the stamp of approval. God accepted it was the proof of the resurrection satisfying the sin debt for everyone who would believe. Jesus' resurrection takes us, those who believe, from death to life, from lost to found, slave to free, from abandoned orphans to children of God. This is what Jesus' resurrection does for everyone who believes. Jesus' resurrection takes all who believe from being citizens of this collapsing kingdom world that we live in to citizens of the eternal kingdom of God for everyone who believes. This is what Jesus' resurrection does. Without the resurrection, as Apostle Paul pointed out, our faith is worthless. But the point is, Jesus is alive. That's what Luke emphasizes here. Jesus is alive, the one moment, with one message. That is the kingdom of God that he was preaching in those 40 days. And so that's really why I focus the rest of our time, is the kingdom of God being kingdom of citizens, because that's where Jesus focused, seemingly, the last 40 days of his life. But this kingdom concept didn't just start then. And I think kings, kings and kingdoms are, are, are different here in America. It's because we it's a foreign concept, quite literally, right? Foreign concept. I think it's why we're so fascinated with kings and kingdoms and what happens in the United Kingdom and the royal family. And why I like Disney movies so much and all these things. because It's fascinating just because we're not so familiar with it. Yet, for thousands of years of history, which God had woven together what we now know as the Bible, kings and kingdoms were the predominant governmental structure that was known very well. And the Roman government, government under which Jesus established his church was one such power that was under a heavy-handed dictator, Caesar. So, for clarity, I think it's helpful to give some insights, quick insights about kings and kingdoms. One, kingdom is a territory under authority. Do you understand that? A territory under authority, which means, number two, kingdoms are ruled by a king, a monarchy, not a democracy. I can even take it as far as a dictatorship. Meaning, in other words, kingdom citizens are people submitting to the person in highest power, the king. People under submission. And so as we start talking about kings and kingdoms and kingdom citizens, and this is what Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. He didn't start after his resurrection. This was a theme woven throughout his ministry, his teaching about the kingdom of God. And actually, the kingdom of God was the first teaching that is shown in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It just says Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And it says. He said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And we're going to dig into that a little bit, but I want to touch on just fulfilled real quick, because I think we don't really understand the biblical definition of fulfilled. Because we think, and I think, like Amazon Prime, I order it, it gets delivered, get it on my doorstep, fulfilled. It's complete. Done. I got it, right? That's not so much the point that's being made here. More so, it's Filled full. Think about paint by numbers. Anybody ever do those? Paint by numbers. You got this sheets, maybe colored by numbers. You got all these numbers. It looks like it's just a drop of a mess until you start following the instructions, and all the ones get greens and all the twos get reds or whatever. And as you color it, the picture becomes more apparent and filled full. And so, what Jesus means is all those things that were said about him now is here and we have a better picture of all the prophecies, and we see it more fully fulfilled. What we need to see is that God revealed two extremely important truths throughout of history leading up to Jesus walking the earth. One, there is one God who will always be the sovereign king over everything. This is what Psalm 47, 6 and through 8 says. It says, sing praise to God, sing praise, sing praise to our King, sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. God is king, ruling and reigning. That's who God is. But then it talks about, all throughout the Old Testament, the promised Messiah or Christ that would be to come. He'd be the forever ruling and reigning king when he came. That's what we see in Isaiah, and specifically Isaiah 9 Six and seven. So, for a child will be born to us; a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Father, Prince of Peace, and the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. And you have many, many other prophecies about what the Messiah, this King, would be. And so, when Jesus in Mark one says the kingdom is near, means The king is here. John the Baptist, in fulfilling Malachi 3, verse 1, was the path paver, forerunner to the Messiah. And what did he say? He said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then Jesus comes along and says, the time is now fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is near. And he says, repent, but he adds on to what John said. John said, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? The king has come. That's the good news. The king has come. The king is here. This is the good news, and it's the good news that changed everything. For everyone who believes Jesus, the king, warmly welcomes all into his kingdom, who will submit to his authority, his kingship, his ruling and reigning, warmly welcomes as kingdom citizens. This is where we want to focus the rest of our time, is this this truth that we see in Scripture of the already but not yet. See, already that Jesus has come, the king has come, The kingdom is established, has been established, yet we have not seen the fulfillment of all of what the kingdom is here on earth to come. And so we're stuck in this in between. This is where we see the apostles and disciples in Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, it says, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. Which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Like, is this the time? Like, you've already died, you rose from the grave, surely now you're restoring your kingdom. And his response? Wait. How do you like that? You ever get that response from the Lord? God, I need you to move here. I need you to do this. I'm having troubles here. I have physical issues here. I have anxieties. I have worries. I need a job. I need these things. Wait. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Before you do that, he says, wait. So we got this already and not yet. They experienced it, but they only had to wait a few days until they saw the Holy Spirit pour out, which we'll talk more about later in the weeks to come. But here we are in the already and not yet. The king has come, and the king is coming back. And so we're in this in-between. So what do we do with that? Well, right now, in this in-between, the kingdom continues to expand. That was the moment that led to the gospel church movement. The kingdom is expanding. The church is growing. And God's plan for the church is proclaiming the gospel, disciples made, local churches planted, local kingdom outposts. But I think what we need to see here is that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. I think we missed that. Ruling and reigning at this moment. This means everything. This changes everything. In Revelation 1, you got this letter to the seven churches who were suffering severe persecution. And God gives John this vision into heaven. In verse 4, it says, John, who writes a letters to the seven churches of Asia, he says, grace and peace to you from the one who is who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. He made us a kingdom citizen for everyone who comes to him in belief. I need to know that. That's right now. He is ruling and reigning right now as king over all kings and kingdoms. King of kings, Lord of the Lord, and it directly impacts your Monday tomorrow or the mess you're going to go through this week because that doesn't change that he is still ruling and reigning. And we experience things. Man, this week I was talking to this lady who heard her mom, so she's, I'm guessing, thirties, young thirties, start talking about church, God, faith, and she said, I don't go to church anymore. So why? What happened? Well, when I was 15, my mom and I were driving to church, and on the way to church, we got hit by a car, and now my mom is permanently disabled, and I just don't see the need for church. I said, do you believe in God? Some days, other days, not so much. And that's heartbreaking because we look at the issues in this world and issues we go with and we project them on God like God caused them or wanted them or desired them. And we forget we live in a fallen world by our own devices, our own actions, our own sinfulness. Listen, I know we in this room are some good people, but we still have issues. But that doesn't change who God is. We experience hurt in this world because we live in a fallen, broken world. Because of sin. That doesn't change who God is. God is still ruling and reigning right now, despite what happens to you. And we know that all things work for the good of those who are called and are loved by God and who love God. Kingdom citizens are focused more on God's kingdom than our own. Kingdom citizens are focused more on God's kingdom. Then whatever kingdom we're living in, America. Listen, I, I enjoy living in America. This isn't like some kind of anti-American speech. But that's not where my allegiance is, nor should it be yours, Christian. Man, just this week, I, I, many of you knew, I did a lot of my adult life serving in and with the Air Force. And I came across a f- truth that I had no idea about this week. It is if... There are several flags put together, and the American flag is one of them. The American flag has to be in a superior position than all the other flags. This is interesting because the story I was reading, when it came to pass in, in this church, they had the American flag and the Christian flag. And they had them together. Guess one, which one had to be in front? The American flag. That's a problem. Because that's not where our allegiance is. Even though you pledge it when you say it, that's not where our allegiance is. Our allegiance is to God and his kingdom. But I think our actions come out like that sometimes. Our allegiance is here. and We forget that we are kingdom citizens and we get wrapped up in the garbage of our culture. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our focus is the eternal citizenship, though we are still present here. We're still active here. We're still doing good here. We're still serving here. We're still serving the gospel here. We're still being a part of things here. You can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? You've heard that said. But yet, that's not where our hope is here. Our hope is there. And it changes how we interact in everything here. Hope that makes sense. There are so many things, and I'm trying to prevent us from being here till dinner that was on my mind going into this morning. I mean, one thing on my mind is this fall festival. We're uh, doing this fall festival to serve our community, but we're representing the goodness of Christ in doing this way. We're giving away a lot of money and a lot of effort just to show the community that there's a God who loves them. And what you may or may not know is when we have this fall festival, the last two that we've given, we've had thousands that have come to each time, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the hope that's in Jesus. And so, man, we're loving them, and we want them to know that as much as our church loves them, there's a God who loves them more. And you can have that relationship with the God of all creation who's rolling and reigning right now, who's giving himself to sacrifice himself for your sins so that you can come to know him. This is the good news of the gospel. And so that's why I beg you to be a part of this fall festival because it's having massive kingdom impacts, more than you know. Like so many times, I'm going on a rant real quick, but let me do it. Let me, just bear with me. So many times we evaluate our costs by what we see. For instance, if we do this fall festival and we don't have any butts and seats, then it must not have been worth it. It's just not true. We had the missionaries go out a few weeks ago to share the gospel in this area, and they had various conversations with how impactful and meaningful it was that this church would throw this event just to show the community that there was a church here that loves them. And guess what? When people start going through some junk and they know there's a church down the road that loves them and cares for them, guess what? they're going to go? By God's grace, to the church who loves them and cares for them. So we just think this is a thing that we do for fun. This is a very meaningful event, but we do for fun, right? Because we're kingdom citizens. It's we're witnesses of Christ. We're representing him well. Let me go through another thing, all right? Cultural. There's some cultural chaos that we go through, and it causes just conflict. What this means is kingdom citizens don't let the conflict come within the church. Do not. We have the most important unifying factor. It's Jesus Christ. He is king, we're following him well. Are we going to have some disagreements? Absolutely. But how we work through those absolutely matter. Philippians 2 says, adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Consider others as more important than yourselves. And let me take this a step further. There's a political season that we're in, and that's ramping up. And we can get political because the Bible gets pretty political. The most politically charged statement, I think, that I believe in the whole Bible, is Jesus is Lord. The early church saying that Jesus is Lord is saying, Caesar, you're not. Which would have been a politically charged statement because Caesar was Lord, and at times Caesar was the one worshipped. And for you to say anyone else is Lord or worshipped would have been very contrary to the government that you were supposed to be submitting to. So Jesus, Lord, is a very politically charged statement. But the, where I'm going with this, do not put your political views in front of your allegiance to Christ. Do not let your allegiance to some political party come before your allegiance to Christ, your king. I'm telling you, as your pastor, I care about you and our faith family. And if we go along the lines of what the, cultural says, the culture says about what you should and shouldn't do, and we start muddying with what God's word says, we get all confused. Christ is king, not the president, not your political party. We can come here and disagree politically because Christ is our king. And we're pursuing him. Yeah, how you vote, it matters. It matters, you better be voting biblically. But I'm not going to tell you what party to vote for. You vote the Bible. But as we enter into this mess that we call a political season because it's getting more and more messy because they tie it to who you are, not what you think. No, you're Christ's child, child of God, Christ is king. Let that help us navigate this messy political season that's about to ramp up. And I hope you hear me because it matters a whole lot. Christ is king, and as Christ is your king, it helps us navigate everything that we're going to go through because Jesus is our focus. And Let me end with this. You see in Acts 1.9, it says, You'll be my witnesses, but then it says this. After he said this, he was taken up. And as they were watching, a cloud took him out of their sight. And this is amazing because then two men show up and they say, Guys, why are you standing here? Why are you standing here gazing in the sky? Don't you know? It says Galilee, this same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And this is our hope that Jesus will return visibly to take his people home forever and permanently establish his kingdom where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, and we'll be able to worship and enjoy his presence personally for the rest of eternity. But until then. We're in this mess. But we go through this mess together with our eyes focused on the King Jesus. So, my challenge to us and our encouragement is to stop clinging so tightly to this collapsing cultural kingdom that we're wrapped up in and start trusting in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this will get us through together all the garbage that we will face in life. Jesus says, the Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. I want you to catch this, the urgency. The kingdom of God is near. There's an urgency there. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I'm going to invite our our band back up, and what we're going to do, we're going to sing one more worship song. I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life in this moment. Because I know as we navigate life, Divisions creeping, anxieties, worries creep in. And really what that comes from is worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. He says the reason why we worry is because we worry about food and clothes. And, and he says, don't worry. And he says this, focus your eyes on the kingdom of God. So I don't know what God's doing in your life. But I know when we come here, there's all kinds of worries and anxieties because we want what we want and things are happening that are beyond our control, but we need to return to the King who's still ruling and reigning right now. And so as we respond, I'm going to ask you to respond a few different ways. And you picked how the Lord's leading you. But first, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray just in the quietness of your own heart as God leads and prompts you. But as we sing this last song of worship, I want you to respond how God's leading. That could be you continue to sit there and just pray and do business with your king. Maybe you need to gather with a few people right around you and just pray together. We'll have a prayer team to the side. we love to pray with you, pray for you. But listen, if you have not transferred your trust from yourself to your Savior, There's so much proof that Jesus is alive, that he is the Savior of the world, that he did pay the sin debt for all who would believe. That just the point now is that you just don't want to. And I'm praying that God breaks through the hardness of your heart and reveals the goodness of his grace and says, come to me. All of you who are burdened and heavy laden, so I will give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come to me because he's a good father and a good king worthy of submitting and following. So I'm going to invite you to just respond to what God's doing in your life. Let me pray for us and lead us in this time of just prayer response, and let's let's respond as God leads. And some of that might just be singing and praising God because he's worthy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reminder of who you are. Lord, thank you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we just ask for your help to help us fix our eyes on you, focus our faith on you. And when it slips to the things and the circumstances around us, and we slip to trust in ourselves, bring us back. And for some that may be right now. Lord, I pray by the goodness of your grace that you reveal areas in our lives that we've started trusting more in things and people and circumstances than you. And bring us back. Remind us of who you are, regardless of the mess that we may be in, Father, that you are still ruling and reigning and you're still good and you're still working through it. And only by your strength can we get through this thing that we call life. So help us to remain, abide, lean into you. You just promise that everyone who draws near to you, you will draw near to them. Right now, I just ask that you move your spirit in this place and draw us closer to yourself as you draw closer to us. And help us feel your presence just tangibly feel this place wrapping around us, Father, the truth of your goodness and your grace and your amazing love that you would lay down your life so that we can live, paying the price for our sin so that everyone who believes has eternal life and will not perish, Father. So, Lord, just remind us of how good you are and lead us in response from our heart and move your spirit in us, Father. Lord, as we respond, Lord, I just pray that you just move in this place, let us just be a mighty movement that just testifies to your goodness and your presence with us, Father. Help us to surrender all of our fears, worries, and anxieties in this moment to you because you're good and trustworthy. You're still ruling and reigning in our lives right now. And for those who have not made a decision to come to you as king, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you bring them to yourself because you're good. Father, so I just ask that you lead us in this response. Lead us in this new day. It reminds us that your mercies are new every morning. Father, you're so good, and we thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer, or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.